Hello and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. I'm Christina Kerr, the Content Manager at Spotlight, and today we're talking about licensing and young performer rights. To help us talk about this complex issue, we have Lucy Jones, who is the Child Employment Officer at the London Borough of Bromley, and who is also the Secretary of the National Network for Children in Employment and Entertainment. Also joining us is Claire Hood from Equity. She worked previously for Recorded Media, looking after ITV and PACT. She's also worked for BBC and ITV in everything from presentation to compliance. This discussion with Lucy and Claire is a kind of follow-up to a panel that we recently held, which was designed to inform agents and casting directors on this complex subject. We thought the information was really important, though, so here's a mini version of that discussion for you right now. Claire, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today on um, the Spotlight podcast. I want to start by asking you, how did both of you get into what you do now? What's your background? Um, Do you need a legal background to do what you do? What is it that's kind of informed how you are today, what you're working in today? Well, my current role is a trade union role. And I would say, although it's not a prerequisite to have legal training, I do, in fact, have a law degree and I'm actually studying to be a barrister. And I found that really helpful not even in so much as you've got a knowledge of the law and statute, but just negotiating and being an advocate for other people. Um, my career has been in television rather than trade unionism. And I started off in transmission and worked my way through presentation and compliance um, and now work on the other side with the actors as their trade union representative. Amazing. And you, Lucy? I really fell into my job. I saw it advertised in a paper and I went for it. Um, I didn't really have any experience other than data input, which a lot of it is licensing. Um, But I've been doing it 12 years now, and along the way I have become a member of the London Network and also the National Network. And it's really good to see how people doing the job work together to try and get some consistency and some, you know, we can't bend the rules, obviously, but... Some, get some negotiation going and um, and really the bottom line is anyway that it's always in the best interest of the child. So what is it then that a licence is really meant to achieve? A licence is meant to achieve um, a few things. Firstly, we are supposed to inspect the venue and inspect the actual shoot. Now, with resources being what they are, we don't always get to do both. But when we go and inspect the shoot, um, we make sure that the the facilities are suitable for the child um, and we make sure that the hours are being recorded so that they don't overwork the children. We talk to the children as well to make sure that they're having a good time and they know who to go to if they're not. And then if there's licensed chaperones involved, then we also do a background check on them amongst ourselves before we do the licence, which is sometimes what the delay is with the licence. Because sometimes even though a chaperone has a chaperone licence, you don't know whether it's been revoked for any reason. We've had to revoke a few or suspend a few while we're making inquiries. So really, we don't do a licence without checking that the chaperones are kosher. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about child safety. Yeah, definitely. um, As well as... One of the well, one of the topics I wanted to cover today is the fact that sometimes licences aren't sought um, in particular instances, and that's usually around not paying young yeah. performers for their work. Do you think that's one of the big issues with the licensing process? What, from your point of view, is kind of the the concern there? I think the payment and licensing issues are quite separate. 
Um, you do have to have a license to work, but I wouldn't say there's necessarily a correlation okay. between not obtaining a license, so you don't have to pay. I, I think there, there's two separate issues here, depending on the, the media or the platform that the content's going to mm. be shown upon. Yeah. But say in television, the issue with the rates is quite separate to licensing. The issue with the rates in television come about as a result of the collective bargains we have in place. Right. And those collective bargains don't make specific reference to children's rates because mm. up until two years ago, children couldn't join equity. Right. Um, it's only recently they've been allowed to join from the age of 10 mm. so this is why it's now very much mm. on a radar because we need to get the rates into collective bargain so that we can enforce rates which would mean more equality for younger performers actually being paid and knowing that they should be paid mm. exactly and what that rate should be um, because at the moment there's completely disparate rates across different production companies and broadcasters um, BBC have completely different rates to ITV ITV are quite good mainly because they produce the soaps and as you'll know from watching mm. soaps, the children do give quite good performances sometimes to lead mm. the story. So it tends to be an ITV, they would get half the adult rate, but more importantly, they would also get what we call pre-purchases. So in the UK, we never have buyouts. Um, an actor should always benefit for the performance mm. when it's reused. Right. So you, with the engagement fee, you only get one transmission on telly and you have to pay extra for further performances. Now, some production companies are buying out the children's mm. rights, yeah. which means although content can be shown years down the line, 10, mm. 15 years down the line, the child doesn't benefit. However, mm. ITV and some production companies have come to agreement with us whereby they will um, pre-purchase the rights at the half the rate of adults. That's good. That's the way it should be, really. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when we were um, discussing the new regulations a few years ago, um, one of the big things that kind of hit us was that the the permitted hours for children are far, far longer than most of us would be willing to work in really? a week. Yeah. And, and if they're not getting paid or they're only getting paid a pittance, it's just... It is... Um, what's that word that I can never remember? Exploitative. That's the one. It's yeah. exploitation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you, Lucy, do you have much consciousness of where in sort of the productions process they come and seek you out um, for approval of a licence? Well, it does vary enormously, actually. The the people that know what they're doing, yeah. <laughs> um, they will come to us early, early mm. on. This came up at one of our uh, road shows when the regulations were changing. Um, the, the woman that was chair of National at that time, she said that employing a child in a production should be sort of top of the list and not the bottom because there's, there is safeguarding checks to do and a lot of things to think about with a child. Um, sometimes you need to get the services of a, a child psychologist in. There's a, there's a lot of stuff to think about that they wouldn't have to think about with an adult. And so... It should really, they should get in, in touch with us as part of their first, one of the first things they do. Yeah, first point um, of call. And if they leave it till the last minute, then nine times out of ten, there's a child that gets disappointed. Right. So and, then what, the, and it's our fault, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are there common, common reasons why you can't approve a licence that sort of come up again and again for you? Um, mostly, mostly it's time. Right. Pressure of time. I mean, we, I don't like turning anyone away. Of course. Um, but we have, we've had to establish a, a time parameter purely because we can only physically do what we can physically do. And that's why we've made a, a time parameter. And we, I mean, we do bend it a bit, you know, if someone says, oh, but you know, this, I've had someone drop out, can you please license this child? Then we do that. But we don't, do it at the drop of a hat just because they haven't bothered to to do their bit. 
Right. There, so there isn't a way to sort of get ahead of the queue. You have to do it in a certain way. There are some authorities that now have a kind of a fast track right. fee. Um, they don't like it, even <laughs> though, I mean, one of the authorities was um, the lady actually still on the national network and we discussed it so many times and she said how, how bad it was because it's a statutory duty, right. so you shouldn't charge anyone for it. Um, but but in the end, of course, she has to do what her managers tell her and they were made to do this fast track fee. But I think it was intended as a deterrent to make people sort of... I, we can't do it quick because they'll charge us. But in actual fact, I think it's done the opposite. People right. think, oh, yeah, just bung them 25 quid and they'll do it for you, you know. Mm, so probably not the intention behind that. No, but... no. Right. And also, you know, no matter what the intention is, you've got to... Really, the bottom line is always the safety of the child. Absolutely. And if, if, there's, a, if there's a chaperone check that we can't get done for four or five days, then that's how long it takes. Yeah. So, so what is the sort of standard amount of time that you were alluding to earlier? We do, um, we have a, a minimum of seven working days. Okay. Um, we do occasionally go less than that. Mm-hmm. But um, mostly because of workload, really, and uh, the checks that have to be made. And if, and you have to give the, the host authority um, adequate notice for them to plan an um, inspection right. as well. So there has to be a kind of responsible party for the child. Mm. There has mm. to have to be um, things in place to ensure that that child is working in a reasonable way, not in an exploitative way, yeah. etc. What does the responsible party look like? Is that usually an agent, a parent, a chaperone? Is there usually one responsible party, or do you mean on set or? I mean, in terms whole... of the license itself, is it given? with the view that one party is responsible for that child's well-being, or is it just the production in general? Well, the the person who puts their name on the application is right. is liable, basically. Okay, I see. And they are, it is their duty. Their yeah, their responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure that chaperones are in place, to make sure chaperones have seen the licence and any health issues. Um, so they're sort of on paper responsible, but then, of course, there's other people... There are there are chaperones. There are people like us that go out and inspect the production, make sure that it's all going as it should. And in terms of a trade union point of view, what is it that having um, sort of child membership of equity is going to be able to do in terms of protecting that child on set? Are there things that parents should know in terms of accessing equity's help? They get all the rights and benefits that an adult member would get, but obviously right. they do pay half price subscriptions. Um, and for an adult to join equity, they have to get £500 worth of work, whereas a child has to get £250 worth of work. Um, for a child to join, it's actually a lot easier. And that, as soon as they type their birthday into the online section, it knows they're a child and can do it. But they get absolutely all the benefits that an adult gets as well. So they get access to us organisers. We can give them advice. We can check their contracts. And I think that's really useful if it's a parent that doesn't have an agent that represents their child. Um, we're always happy to look at the contracts and make sure the figures are correct. Um, we do undertake set visits as well. We mm-hmm. undertake all those visits and are always quite happy to chat to the parents on set because mm-hmm. um, obviously we won't approach the children directly. Mm-hmm. But um, whatever benefits that the, the adults get, the children get that as well. Um, so in terms of that actual kind of making sure that um, 
I guess I'm trying to get us towards what if there's the worst case scenario and something does go wrong, um, what gets evoked first? Should they look back at the licence or should they just go seek other help? What should parents do if they are concerned that something is amiss? Well, obviously the first step we would say is to approach production. Right. Um, because that would be the normal process. Is they would have a, a child protection person, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, there's the designated one and that would normally be in the child's contract. So looking at ish- recent contracts that have been issued for children on quite big productions, there's always a child protection page mm-hmm. um, and that'll have the contact on it. So mm-hmm. production would normally be the first port of call. Mm-hmm. Um if they weren't getting anywhere, then escalate it to us. Um, but we tend to have expected it to be raised with production right. before we get involved. But again, it depends very much on what's gone wrong. And also the chaperones, that's their duty as well. If things are not going right and they can't iron out the problems with the production company, then they they normally just they call us and we go and we go down there to talk them out. You want to investigate a bit further? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, um, we mentioned in the panel... This was a particular key concern of our key account manager, Ellie Samuels, this concept of the open licence. <laughs> what is it? Does it exist? The only open licence that is legal is a licence issued for a child to, for example, appear on EastEnders for a six-month period where the dates aren't known. Right. That's the only open licence there is. Also, it is that issue a licence to an agent for a child for them to do any modelling in any location for anybody are illegal and we don't do them. Right. Very clear answer there. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not an option. So no. if, the, if the criteria is for a long-term production where the dates are not known, that really wouldn't be applicable to anything made by an independent production company under the PAC contract because you always have to tell the performer what dates they're going to be engaged Right. Um, so you engage them, so you would never contract anyone on unknown dates. Well, um, one that comes to mind, I did one for one of our girls to be in the dumping ground, okay. and what they do is they ask me for a license between this date and that date, and then every now and again they send me the schedule, the upcoming schedule, okay. so that we know what date she's going to be missing school and all that. And and how do the schools come into it? I remember as well, <laughs> I was talking a little about. Uh, again, on, at, the, at our panel for agents, um, just how the school does actually often not impede, but sort of mm. have a say in and perhaps disappoint they some do. people who wish to work at a young age. They do. Um, I'm doing a Aladdin at the moment in, I um, can't remember where it is, but um, two or three of the schools have said, well, they can have this afternoon off, but not that morning. And and it does make it difficult because the rehearsal schedule is in place and I can't I can't fiddle with the rehearsal schedule. And I think, really, the school should say either yes or no. Um, the other thing is, a, a lot of schools, and this is the biggest problem, a lot of schools misinterpret the regulations and they think that time off for performing comes under how much holiday they're allowed to give. Right. But it doesn't. It's totally separate from that. And the performance license does, in fact authorise the performance so really we don't even need to ask the teachers for permission but historically we do because we have a duty not to issue if it's going to affect the child's education so it goes really you have to go by the individual child I well I don't know about everyone but I personally try to liaise because I'd rather everyone come to an agreement than than make that child a, a problem child. You'd be a great trade unionist. 
Hmm? You'd be a great trade union. That's a wonderful attitude, yeah. Oh, thank you. It's <laughs> all about reconciliation and negotiation. That's yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, there you go. <laughs> and again, it, and, and quite often we do reach a compromise that, that everyone's happy. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. And it is obviously, it, I mean, it can be quite beneficial to the child, the experience definitely. of actually working. If you ask child psychologists, it's definitely they get more confident, they, they get disciplined, they get... I don't know, it just helps them. Yeah, it's yeah. another point of view outside of school, another way to sort of learn in, in a way. And I was thinking the other day, if if schools are saying no, because cause some, source, some schools will say, well, any time out of school is obviously detrimental to their education. But I think, but if they're performing, surely that's, I mean, why do they have drama then as part of the mm-hmm. curriculum, you know? I don't quite understand it. I think it's a bit of a... Yeah, it's a bit of a hardliner answer really yeah and I, I think a lot of teach head teachers just don't really understand it I want to ask you then what is it that you think actually has complicated licensing what is it about all of this that you know is there a lack of information is it just that parties don't talk to each other clearly what is it that's the problem here I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I think historically it's been a bit them and us right with, with a lot of local authorities um, obviously, there are um, people on both sides, I would say, that it's their way or no way sort of thing. But still, obey, you can still obey the rules and regulations. But if you, if you educate someone that's done something wrong rather than just prosecute them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's, you know, we do inspections so that, you know, I mean, we did an inspection once on um, Junior Bake Off and we went to inspect it and there was nobody there. <laughs> and there was one person like watching the, the, the base and she said oh they've taken the kids off to the Wicked Theatre to do lunch for the cast which is a beautiful idea but totally not, not legal right. <laughs> and they were distraught that they'd done something wrong because every other aspect of that inspection was top notch you know they really provided for the children but they, um, they were just distraught that they'd made a mistake so yeah. There's no point in in getting on my high horse with people like that because they obviously have thought about what's what's good for the children. I think there's a lack of information, though, and I think even at production level, I think producers that are coming up don't understand licensing, and I think what complicates it is a disparate nature and that each different council, I think, does it a bit differently. Mm. So certainly equity, when we get questions through we just say you have to go to your local council that's who deals with it and I think traditionally we've not really spoken to each other much no I think how that panel was good because I learned loads it about was it brilliant, yeah. um, and there's just no kind of co-educational aspect to it either between equity or the production side or you guys so I think the more information that's out there it's the better yeah, I think there's definitely. a lot of misinformation yeah um yeah. And I mean about, yeah. sorry a lot of people think that um different councils have different rules but Obviously, we all are supposed to abide by oh, I the. That. I thought you did a different. Really, rules. I think they're all interpreted different. Then they interpret different. Yeah, they're all interpreted differently. That's the thing. So, I suppose it's a statute. It's all statute based, mm. but the way it's applied, I yeah. think, is slightly different. Yeah, yeah and I don't um, think you're ever going to change that, really. So, I think it's more about working together, isn't yeah. it? And maybe yeah. working with production a bit more to make sure they know what they're doing as well. And explaining why you say exactly. Mm-hmm. If you have to say no, you explain why. Don't just mm-hmm. say no. what the reason is. Yeah, yeah. Gives people an opportunity to actually be educated and make yeah. changes. Yeah. Definitely. I want to ask you, we were sort of talking a little earlier, Lucy, <laughs> about the fact that you are referring generally to a statute that came from the 60s. Yeah. Um, what kind of challenges does that present for your job now? Um, it is still a little bit of a challenge because 
although we got the regulations changed after years and years and years of work by agencies and the National Network and all kinds of people, they were changed in 2014. And that has made some parts easier. For instance, if they're doing a show and they want to film it, they can do that. In, back in the day, they couldn't do that after half past seven in the evening. It was really, oh, right. really sort of inconvenient, really. Um, but I still think there's probably parts of the... Is it the first level of legislation or something, whatever they call it, like the Act itself, mm-hmm. that probably is still out of date. But right. when when they change the regulations, so the regulations kind of explain the yeah, law. Yeah, they come off the law, legislation, yeah. So they can change the regulations, and even that took about 12 years. Mm-hmm. But to change the actual law would take forever, and it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime. Because mm-hmm. you'd have to go back to Parliament again yeah, to get yeah. it repealed. So, or what you need is a big case. So if you had a big famous case that went to the Supreme Court, for yeah, example, yeah. and went all the way up there, then the Supreme Court would send that case back to Parliament and ask them to, to change yeah, the legislation. But yeah. it'd take something momentous. It will, I mm. mean, you know... And it would take years as well. There have right, been yeah. momentous things, haven't there, recently, in the, you know, to do with children and... I don't know. It's, I don't know what it'll take to change the law, but well, it's definitely very tricky, particularly with the advent of um, on-demand TV and also internet. Yeah, work. I mean, the the people that wrote the act in 1963 would never ever have dreamed mm. that all of this stuff was going to be invented. But having said that, they also did what they did because they knew that children had to be protected in the industry, right, of course, and yeah. so the actual act is still relevant. Although aspects of it, I suppose, are a bit out of date and I don't know what they're going to do about that. What would you say in terms of, perhaps again for parents, what would either of you say in terms of um, that kind of internet work specifically? Are there rights on the internet? What are the child's rights? It depends on which platform it's going on. Okay. As we're talking about folk in 1963, never envisaged this mm. type of media. Back in 2003, I don't think no. we envisaged it. No. <laughs> and no. it's moved on quite quickly. Um, and it's escalating. So you have what we call subscription video on demand, which is a service you pay for, so something like Amazon or Netflix. So they are doing lots of commissioning in the UK. However, they're not covered by our current collective bargains because they were made for TV, essentially. So we do have deals at the moment. We've been doing bespoke deals for each production, but we're trying to come up with an agreement for for these types of platforms because it's too much work to do it. so it does involve, again, looking at the engagement fee they get, but more importantly, the pre-purchase rights and deciding where this content can be shown. Because obviously these types of platforms are more global than what mm. previous old-fashioned telly would be. So again, it's a case of approaching us on each production get engaged on. But for subscription video on demand, there are protections. Um, what our collective bargain does cover is stuff like iPlayer or ITV Hub. So any kind of video on demand service is covered by that. Um, that's a separate licence and that money gets paid out based on how often the programme's viewed online. So, so that's trackable. So some of it is monetised and you do get rights for that. But for example, if you made something for YouTube... Right, I was going to ask you covered. about YouTube. That's so a, YouTube is an emerging one, especially with all the vloggers. Mm. Um, but unless content's actually made by a production company and the viewer's paying for it, then we mm. don't have any jurisdiction and it's a bit of a wild west. Wow, that's quite scary because I, I know that on YouTube um, there is a sort of tendency now 
towards groups of people just assembling on YouTube mm -hmm. and making a production house mm -hmm. um, of a fashion um, and sort of just calling themselves something and, um, yeah, getting whole offices of people together who would create content for YouTube in the same way that a production house might create it for any other online mm. or other kind of platforms that's similar. So that's quite scary that it's kind of, it is still quite unknown how we actually deal with that and what, how the person properly gets remunerated for that. Yeah, and it's quite unregulated. And I think the thing is it's so popular because that's what all the kids are watching. Like my kids yeah. that watch telly, it's all on YouTube. Yeah. Um, we have uh, another case in our chaperone training where there was a family on YouTube because their job doesn't cover any anyone that puts himself onto one of those platforms we it's not in our remit mm. so we don't they don't have the protection for, of us either and there was a family well there was a, a father who was really doing horrible things to his son not not exactly not physical abuse or anything but um one of the things he did was he put invisible ink or something on his feet and then made him walk all over their nice new carpet, you know, and then really laid into him until he was crying, it's you awful. know, for entertainment. Yeah. And they, I think that family was prosecuted right. eventually. But it is scary how many things could be going on. And it's quite a broad spectrum issue until some, like, Ofcom takes over yeah. regulation. And what people... going to do with the whole internet. I think that's yeah. the issue. The internet's completely unregulated. It's um, horrible. And what, what people consider entertainment as well. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's don't be thinking about really some of it. Yeah, the internet is a scary place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to ask you then, just more generally, stepping back from kind of all the nitty gritty of the legal stuff. Um, we obviously are, at Spotlight are doing a lot more to talk to parents directly, and if you had any advice that you could give them if their child really desperately wants to perform, um, just in terms of their being better informed as parents for that child, what advice could you give them? Listen to this podcast. I don't want to be seen to be doing the hard sell, but I, I can't stress joint equity enough yeah. Yeah. because if you don't have an agent, we can be really helpful. And obviously the more members we have, the more traction we have and the quicker we get things moving and get all the rates and rights into the collective bargains because um, we do provide a valuable service, especially our contract reading skills are second to none. And also um, get in touch with your local authority and find out what their time parameters are so that you're not disappointed. Um, I think try not to be too dazzled by the industry and I yeah. understand it's really hard because I'm still quite excited by working in this industry. It's kind of exciting. And it's glamorous and it is, but that lends itself a bit to exploitation because yeah. you're so keen for your kid to have yeah. this job and you're so keen to work in it. Yeah, people do get yeah. starstruck. You would take yeah. the, the job and what you have to think if you're working for a professional production company they should be paying you professionally as well definitely um, so try not to get yeah, too blinkered by excitement mm. that's very mm. good advice I think that's it ladies thank you yeah. so much thank you thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode of the Spotlight podcast if you've got any other questions you can always ask us on Twitter at Spotlight UK or drop us an email at questions at spotlight.com if you're a parent wanting more information like what you've heard today, you can also potentially benefit from our one-to-one -one sessions with Mel and Ellie, our young performer specialists. Just take a look at news and advice on our website to find out more. <laughs>